from a recovery regeneration point of view, if you want to help your body heal to adapt properly, you have to introduce a stimulus that's not going to cause pain and discomfort. And that's what micro stretching looks at. It looks at placing your body in a proper position where you're relaxed and you're not causing any pain and discomfort, which is a sympathetic nervous system response, which is priming your muscles to activate or get ready to deal with the stimulus of pain and discomfort. The human experience is the greatest project any of us will undertake, yet it's often the one we spend the least amount of time working on. My name is Matt Johnston. I'm a self-professed personal development junkie, a retired pro golfer, and I now work for an organization that provides employee and health benefits to hundreds of thousands of people. It should be common sense to realize that what happens at work is what people bring home and what happens at home comes to them to work, but that's too often ignored. That's why each week I hope to uncover a little more around what it means to be a human, working and living in the 21st century. We'll be learning from experts, having conversations and getting insights into all those things that fall at the intersection of life and work, emotional and physical health, skills and money, all of the relationships we navigate each day, and of course, the purpose and meaning we all desire. This is The Human Assignment. Welcome back or welcome to the Human Assignment Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We are thrilled to share a conversation that we recently had with Dr. Nikos Apostolopoulos. He is the founder and developer of micro-stretching and stretch therapy. Donna, what a guy. He is potentially my new favorite person to talk to. Holy cow. He has a lot to share, for sure, across several contexts and uh, subject areas, but we focused on the recovery piece. Um, and I was really intrigued by his research. I was first introduced to it when I was on a panel with him at the North America, Central America and Caribbean Track and Field Coaches Association conference in December of this year. And um, I really liked the way he talked about recovery and, and the way that he framed it. Well, and he's certainly, certainly had results. He's worked with a number of professional athletes and teams uh, NHL athletes, Olympians, NBA. He worked with one of my favorite basketball players of all time, Ray Allen, helped him lengthen his career and brought him back after an injury, I believe. So it's the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. You don't uh, mess around at those levels of sport. No, certainly not. And I think the other important thing that we gleaned from our conversation with him is that well, he, his research has been rooted on the high performance side and he's worked with a number of athletes in that context, that this technique is really applicable to everyone, including uh, former athletes <laughs> like you and me, um, as well as, you know, aging, um, the aging population and even younger kids to help introduce them to the concept of recovery and learning to relax and how to engage um, uh properly manage, I should say, the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic nervous system. So a really engaging and rich conversation, and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. And the best way to support what we're doing is heading over to iTunes and giving us a review or a thumbs up. Thanks so much for joining us as always, and I uh, hope you enjoyed. Well, Nikos, thanks so much for joining us today. This is, uh, we're so excited to have you. Obviously, we've, we've already, we've, we've been talking for 
for 20 minutes already and I wish I had to press the record. So I, uh, I'm, I'm now scrambling to press the record button. Hopefully we can retract and, and, uh, and, and get some of the wisdom nuggets that you've already dropped on us into, uh, um, into our recording. But um, thrilled to have you here. Obviously, you and Donna connected uh, a few months ago on a panel and we've been geeking out on your stuff ever since. So uh, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Donna, do you want to say something? You want to pronounce my long last Greek name? <laughs> well, now that I'm on the spot, yeah, I'm looking at my notes. Um, we're really excited to have you um, because of your uh, incredible background, both in research and applied clinical session settings. And uh, we at the Humanist Live have lots of discussions around um, self-care. And I think sometimes when we talk about self-care, this sort of inherent acknowledgement of the role recovery plays in helping us you know, be at our best and um, and to be healthy. But I think our discussion today is going to do a deep dive into what recovery, regeneration, and adaptation means, and um, and how we can use what your expertise is to um, to enhance that, but also to help us know ourselves and our bodies better. So we're excited to dive in. Oh, thank you. And and for those that uh, didn't get my last last uh, Greek name because Donna froze, it's Apostolopoulos. <laughs> <laughs> Evolutionary step above Snuffleupagus. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. And for the remainder of the con uh, podcast, we're just going to call you Nikos. For, for sure. <laughs> what, what, not Dr. Apostolopoulos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, hey, this is great. Thanks for having me uh, do this podcast with you and Matt. And uh, it was great to connect with you a couple of uh, months ago on the uh, North American Coaching uh, panel um, um, hosted by Richie Mercado, and it was great to hear what Donna had to say, and uh, and uh, hopefully I could compliment and and give more about uh, what I do because Donna's uh, Donna's a real uh, an expert with regards to what she does, and and Matt's the first time I've ever met him, so hopefully I could uh, do you guys some uh, good um, some good service with what I'm about to say. So a bit about myself. Um, <clears throat> I developed microstretching back in 1995, but prior to that, I suffered a pretty serious motor vehicle accident on my bicycle. I was training to be, I was a track cyclist training for hopefully to do the 92 Olympic Games. But in 1989, I was hit by a motor vehicle in Stanley Park and uh, ran a stop sign. Uh, I was... Um, Knocked on, knocked on conscience. And then when I did uh, gain consciousness, I had pins and needles running down both my arms. And uh, fast forward two or three years later, I actually had spinal fusion surgery in C5, C5, C6. So the, the development of microstretching was basically an approach of me trying to deal with my pain. And how can I deal with pain? And pain is a very, very important stimulus and something that we will talk about more as we go in this podcast because pain is giving you an idea of what stage you are in your body physically. It, it sort of gives you a notion of um, what you're really feeling. And it's not just a conscious thing. It's actually a physical thing. So pain was the whole thing that developed led me to develop microstretching. Uh, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to alleviate that pain that I was suffering. And I kid you not, what I did was I thought, okay, let me hang my head over the side of my bed and support it. 
And when I did that, I started getting relief in my neck. And that was the beginning. That was my aha moment that, okay, this is something that needs more, uh, how do you say, research, more investigation. Because back then in the 1990s, and I'm just going to give uh, a, the uh, people out there an idea that uh, not just athletes, but um, uh, non-athletes, is that back in the 1990s, PNF was the real big thing with regards to stretching, which, is, which basically means proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. That's just the fancy word of saying that, you know, if you go too far, your muscles are going to react to the stress. And uh, what the whole idea behind PNF stretching was that we are trying to fake the body to release. So it's a, a, it's a neural response where you... Um, in the muscle itself, you have the stimulus of the muscle spindles and, and they actually sense stretching. So when you're doing PNF stretching, which basically in a nutshell is you are resisting against the therapist's uh, force. And then when you relax, he's able to move your limb uh, further range of motion or further over. Then you are uh, basically faking the body to do that. Now, the problem with PNF stretching back then was the actual holding of the stretch against the therapist's uh, uh, body uh, was too aggressive and people were in a lot of pain afterwards. And I thought to myself, there's something wrong here because pain is a very important indicator of uh, what your body's going through at that particular moment in time. And it's also known, uh, I call, I define it as a sympathetic nervous system response. Now I'm bringing up this term because it's very, very important for the audience to realize that anytime you take your body to pain and discomfort, what is your body's response? It's basically saying, hey, I have to uh, remove myself from the stimulus. If I don't, you know, it may cause me more damage. So it's, and a lot of you know this uh, SNS response as the fight, flight, or fright. So if you have a very painful stimulus, there's three ways of, of dealing with it. Yeah, you know, if your therapist is causing you pain, you can punch him in the nose. You know, that's one <laughs> way of dealing with it. The other thing is you basically are shy from the pain and you try to remove yourself from the pain. And the third way is flight. You just get up off the table and you run out the door. So this whole thing is very, very important because with micro-stretching, we do not take the body to pain and discomfort. The whole idea is that we are trying to diminish any, any pain and discomfort because pain is associated with inflammation. So when you have any type of tissue damage in your body, that's an inflammatory response. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to diminish inflammation to get your body to recover and regenerate and heal properly. So the whole premise behind micro-stretching is it's trying to dampen the CNS system, dampen the sympathetic nervous system, so that way, then I can facilitate a more relaxation response. And that's the key. If anything, when you with this podcast, if you if your audience were to take something home is don't cause pain when you're doing stretching, because, you know, even though micro stretching is predominantly a recovery regeneration technique, the idea is don't cause pain and discomfort, because what you're doing then is you're putting more tension in the body. 
And when you're creating more tension in the body, it could affect your body in numerous ways. One is uh, it could uh, affect your cardiovascular system. It could uh, cause uh, constriction of the blood vessels. And when you have constriction of the blood vessels, you're actually uh, not getting the proper nutrients and oxygen to the tissues that need that healing. So that's what pain causes. The other thing is it causes inflammation. And the whole idea behind inflammation is it's basically telling us that we've got an issue here and we have to deal with that issue. So it behooves me and it more or less, it baffles me as to why when we actually are trying to help ourselves get better, why do we think that if I take my body to pain and discomfort, if predominantly if I'm using stretching, that that is beneficial. It's not. It's not. Because what you're doing then, if, if you already have chronic pain in your body, and that means chronic pain means chronic inflammation, you're only going to cause more inflammation. And this is what my research has shown with regards to stretching. Um, the thing is, um, one, one thing about the body which is often, often uh, sort of, uh, how do you say, fascinated me, is the idea that when we're young, we don't learn from our mind. It's not our brain that teaches us. It's our body that teaches us. And what I'm getting at is the concept of known as um, uh, the embodiment of the mind, the idea that I learn through my experience. I learn through my actions. And then that creates the neural synapses in the brain, which then allows me to comprehend a concept. So we have to look at the body as being uh, the instrument of learning. And when and, and you know that from any of you that have been in pain for such a long length of time that your body is teaching you how to deal with that pain and discomfort. So uh, even, even those that don't have pain, let's say those that sit at their desks for a long length of time, eight or nine or 10 hours, and then they'd get up and try to leave uh, from their desk and they've got low back problems. Well, what your body is telling you is you've put yourself in a position that, you know, that basically stimulates the muscles to be shortened. Now, let me, let me paraphrase. When you actually are sitting down and your knees are at 90 degrees to the chair and that's ergonomically correct and then your upper body is 90 degrees to your upper leg, that's fine as well. And now you're sitting there and you had an ergonomist saying to you, that's the proper position for you to sit there for nine or 10 hours. Well, <laughs> it's not. Why am I saying that? Because there's a muscle group called the hip flexors. And the hip flexors, when you're in that position, they are shortened. This is why predominantly when you get out of a chair, the first thing you try to do is you try to extend your body. By extending it, you're trying to stretch, stretch those hip flexors. So when you're sitting at a chair for nine or 10 hours on a day, uh, your hip flexors are in a shortened state. Now, on top of that, what are you doing mentally and emotionally? If you're causing, if your job at that moment is causing you stress and, and, and mental and emotional stress, that is also an inflammatory response. There was some research done in Ireland in 2002 that showed that 
Uh, mental emotional stress releases, and I'm going to throw out a term for what it is. It's called a cytokine. And cytokines are pro-inflammatory proteins. And this is where a lot of the research has gone to with regards to my work as well. But pro-inflammatory proteins basically mean that when they're released in the body, they will cause an inflammatory response. So what this study has shown in Ireland is that if I have mental emotional stress in my body, that that's enough to release these pro-inflammatory proteins, cytokines in my body, which can actually perpetuate or even heighten an inflammation in our body. So now think about this. You're at your desk. You've got a lot of work. You're stressing mentally and emotionally about it. And at the same time, you've put yourself in a position where you're sitting down, where your hip flexors are shortened, and you are now predisposing your body to a scenario where the mental emotional stress is actually causing more tension in your muscles. And you know it. You know it intuitively. If you've been at a desk for a long time, your muscles are tense and they're, and they're shortened and you're more fatigued. And how is that going to be beneficial for you? It's not. So now add on top of that, that you now are trying to do something to help you de-stress. And I mean, myself, I, I'm, I'm, how do you say, uh, part of that group that needs exercise to de-stress. I get on my bike every morning at 5.30 in the morning just to cycle to de-stress. Now, mm. if you're trying to do something that's going to help you de-stress by using stretching or yoga or any type of activity that involves you using your body, I will tell you right now that if that de-stress is going to cause more pain and discomfort, you're only perpetuating the ability of adding more tension into your body. And that's counterproductive from helping you feel any better. Okay, so the whole idea, and I know why a lot of us do this, is there's this whole cliche in the sporting world and the non-sporting world that there's no pain, no gain. So if I don't feel the pain and discomfort in my body, nothing is really happening. Well, that's false, guys. Throw that out the window because I often say the greatest gain is made without pain. Now, let me, uh, uh, let me sort of um, clarify this even more. When we're training, we're on, when we're on our bicycles or we're running, uh, or on the rowing machine or whatever, you are going to go through pain because this is how your body adapts and you're able to actually increase your ability to uh, adapt to the stimulus and be able to train further the next time you get on the rowing machine or the bicycle or et cetera. Now, but when we're looking at recovery regeneration, it's a different ballgame. You have just stimulated your body from training. You have just caused inflammation because you got to realize that training is trauma. It is physical trauma to the body, and it's called non-septic because the same, how do you say, inflammatory proteins that are released uh, during a, a massive infection, which might lead to sepsis, are the same proteins, pro-inflammatory proteins that are released during training. The only difference is that we recover from the training and, you know, hopefully you'll recover from sepsis. So, but they're the same. It's the same system. It's an inflammatory response. So the thing is, as from a recovery regeneration point of view, if you want to help your body heal to adapt properly, 
you have to introduce a stimulus that's not going to cause pain and discomfort. And that's what micro-stretching looks at. It looks at uh, placing your body in a proper position where you're relaxed and uh, you're not causing any pain and discomfort, which again, as we said earlier on, is a sympathetic nervous system response, which is priming your muscles to activate or get ready to deal with the stimulus of pain and discomfort. No. That was a hell of an answer. <laughs> Probably the best we've ever had. I'm not even quite sure. This is, uh, we, 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 I, have, I have a couple pages in front of, uh, of me of uh, questions that we're, we're going to ask. And you've touched the top of each of uh, most of them here. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I don't even know where to dig in. Just to jump off of where, what you last said there, Nikos, one of the things that's coming up for me right now, and I'm wondering if talking about the difference between parasympathetic and sympathetic might be really sure. important because you've worked with some of the best athletes in the world people that th their, their bodies are their, are their, their tool. temple. Yeah. Their temple. Yep. And, and one of the things that you said before we jumped on really hit home for me as someone who's been an athlete, who's, uh, you know, tried to, uh, tried to make a living playing, playing sport is that, uh, one thing that an athlete does have is that they have a, they have time on their side. Their, their day is spent, um, working on their, their temple, if you will. What's coming up for me is that for a lot of us who are, are sitting in a place where our hip flexors are shortened, you know, are racing to get the kids out the door in the morning, are stressed because, you know, whatever's happening at work, you're grinding at the, uh, uh, grinding all day. Um, and you try to maybe squeeze in that physical activity at 5.30 in the morning, as, as you said. It's like, I, I sense that it's really important to understand the difference between recovery and what might be, you know, the stimulus that is, you know, potentially causing, I'm, I'm going to fumble my words here, but the, oh, go ahead. the, the, you know, the inflammation in the body and, and really distinguishing, you know, almost to a certain degree, compartmentalizing those two in your mind. Um, I, there's a question somewhere in there. Um, do you mind speaking well, to that? Actually, you know, you no. Know, and I'm glad you brought that us up because the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system are very, very important things. You got to look at the, the way your body's designed, your neural system, your autonomic nervous system is divided as you rightfully showed, uh, talked about, uh, Matt, is the sympathetic nervous system. We talked about the sympathetic nervous system and we said that anytime we go to pain and discomfort and we stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, we are actually predisposing our bodies to tissue damage and, um, and um, inflammation. Okay. Now, every time I give a lecture at a university, I often say that the sympathetic nervous system is our great teacher. It teaches us. And what do I mean by that? You put your hand on a hot element, you're never going to do it again. It's told you that hot element, pain, inflammation. Again, it goes back to what I said, the embodied mind. We are learning about our environment through our bodies. So, the most important thing then is we need to learn about relaxation and recovery and uh, regeneration through what we're doing to our bodies. So then the, the parasympathetic nervous system is very important because that's the system of healing. When you go to a therapist, I mean, like my, I'm a therapist myself, 
uh, I developed the microstretching technique as a therapeutic technique. But when you go to a therapist, the therapist is not the healer. I am not a healer. I am a facilitator. I am giving you the tools to get yourself better. You are the healer. And what do I mean by that? Your body is the healer. Your body is the trying to basically make itself better to adapt to its environment. And in order for that to happen, you need to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, the great healing tool of our bodies, the, the thing that actually, uh, how do you say, um, stimulates the relaxation response, which is very, very important. Now, time, you touch the bond time and it's very important. Like the athletes that I've worked with, yeah, they have a lot of time on their hands because they're paid oodles and oodles and oodles of money which you, myself, and Donna, we, I'd love to be there, but no, it's, it's, and often, like I said to Matt before, when I worked with all these athletes and then I'd be coming back, because back then I was living in Vancouver, people would ask me, aren't you envious of what they have? And I said, no, what I'm envious of is the time they have, because that's what it buys you, it buys you time. But it doesn't mean just because we don't have, you know, $150 million or $200 million in our bank account that we can't do things to help us get better. Now, Having said that about time, what I've often found with my technique of microstretching and what's something that I've actually said thousands of times is the best time to stretch using microstretching is before you go to sleep. Why? Because you've got to basically realize that you know, th there's a lot of ideas about sleep, but one thing that they say is sleep is about helping your body to recover and regenerate. It, it is and it isn't. What sleep is more importantly, guys, and this is something that I'm going to throw out there because there's a lot of us now in this new age of Apple uh, telephones and Androids and all this stuff and tablets and all this stimuli just hitting us in the face all the time. That stimulus that's coming from um, from your from your device before you go to sleep is actually not allowing you to get that proper deep sleep because it's an electromagnetic uh, uh, stimulus that you got to realize that your body itself is um, functions in the same way. It, there's electromagnetic energy in your body, uh, and there's a frequency involved with your cells. There's a frequency uh, of healthy cells compared to unhealthy cells. Cancer has a frequency, and your brain has a frequency as well. So uh, let, let's go through this quickly. So your brain has five brain waves associated with it. The first one is gamma, which basically means hyper, hyper alert, hyper stimulated. And that's between, uh, if I remember my figures right, between 24 to 38 cycles per second, okay? And then your second one is your beta. And beta is anywhere between 12 to 24 cycles per second. And uh, that's right now, uh, Donna and myself talking to you guys, we're in beta mode, we're in conscious mode. The moment you close your eyes, and this is why in meditation people close their eyes, and what happens when you close your eyes is your eyes slightly roll upwards, so you start seeing the wetter your eyes, because that's trying to stimulate alpha. Alpha is the beginning of the meditation state, okay? And that's, I think, uh, 12, uh, between 8 to 12, or is it 
uh, yeah, eight to 12 cycles per second. That's alpha. That's the beginning of meditation. It's kind of interesting as a segue that television and, and, and television uh, people know this. This is why during commercials, they I don't know how many of you have been watching a commercial and you're feeling like you're lulling yourself into sleep. Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to stimulate alpha to get you to buy the popcorn or the whatever it is. But the thing is, that they've they've known about this brain wave and then you've got theta delta now theta is between four to eight uh cycles per second and then delta which is the deepest one is the one less than four cycles per second now having said all that what you do throughout the day is taxing your brain as well the fatigue you feel in your body is taxing your brain as well so sleep is not about helping your body recover and regenerate. Sleep is about allowing your brain to turn off. When your brain is not turned off, you are not going to have a good sleep. Because you're, and this is where I'm saying the embodied mind, because if you've got tension in your body, your brain is still stimulated to deal with that tension. You have to break that cycle before you go to sleep. So one of the most important things with micro-stretching is you do this gentle stretching before you go to sleep to prep you for a deeper sleep in order to help your brain recover and regenerate. Because that's the only time you recover and you regenerate your brain is through those sleeps. And the thing is, I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, but no, we know that once you get to Delta, that, that, restore, that releases the restorative enzymes in your body, and it's those enzymes that help your body recover and regenerate. Well, they did some studies where they looked at growth hormones, and if that was the case, there should be a spike of growth hormones during your sleep, but there isn't. The only time you see a spike in growth hormones is when you eat the protein, because the protein, when it's broken down, it gives you the amino acids to build up your muscle. But sleep is about your brain. It's about allowing it the time to finally say, you know, I need to recover. I need to regenerate. Now, if you try to do something before you go to sleep and it's painful, or if you're actually involved with something that creates more stimulus in your body, activates your brain waves, you're not allowing your brain that time to recuperate. And that's very, very important. So the time to do something for yourself, once the kids have gone to sleep and stuff like this, is take that 10 to 15 minutes of prepping your body for that deep sleep. And I'm going to say this for what it is. My phone spends half its life in airplane mode. Uh, I just don't, uh, I, I, I don't know, I'm old school, you know, landline, stuff like this. But the thing is, I do not, have I don't look at my phone before at least an hour, an hour and a half before I go to sleep. What I do look at is a book. There's something about a book that lulls me to sleep and I'll get a de deeper sleep. But I found I did an experiment on myself when I went to a friend's place in Vancouver and in in the place in the room that I was sleeping, she had her um, router. So I thought, oh, this is interesting because the next day, the first night I slept there or the second night that I slept there, I woke up with a headache. And I thought to myself, well, this is kind of interesting. Why am I getting a headache? So I thought, okay, let's try an experiment. So I, the, that night, I actually unplugged the router. The next day, I didn't wake up with a headache. And I'm thinking to myself, is this coincidence? Is this whatever? So then I thought, let me try another experiment. So that following night, the following night, I actually 
uh, had the uh, router engaged, I had a headache again. And I'm thinking, okay, there's something here. Even though, uh, you know, I'm not seeing it, I'm perceiving it, my body is feeling it. And my brain is, uh, how should you say, engaged with this electromagnetic energy. So what's my other clue to tell a lot of people is, hey, turn off your phone while you're asleep. If you can't turn it off, then have it two or three rooms over because it's still there. That stimulus is still there. And I mean, there's a lot of studies that say what I'm saying right now is bollocks. Hey, this guy is full of SHIT. You know, this is, we've shown that there's no effect. But if you really look at these studies, they were done by the phone cell companies themselves. <laughs> you know? Well, you know what, Nikos, I, I, I need to be beaten over the head with this message. The, uh, the get away from electronics before bed. I've read the studies that speak to what you're saying. And uh, this may be the, the, the impetus I need to, uh, you know, to get back on the horse here of turning it off at least an hour before bed. Um, I think we, we, we couldn't have primed the pump any better to, to better understand micro-stretching. Um, reduces pain, reduces chronic pain, improves recovery, uh, improves sleep. I, you know, I, I, the, the benefits, I think we could continue to go on. Can we dig in a little more on, on what is micro-stretching? Let's talk about some of the take-homes to dig into yeah, w w what it is. Before I do that, the one thing I want to say is what is the chronic, uh, how do you say, disease? I don't know if disease is the right word, condition of modern man, sleep deprivation. We are so sleep-deprived. So you have to do everything to try to help you gain that sleep, that deep sleep. The one thing I need to also emphasize is that when we talked about the brain waves, is that at delta, which is the deepest of the brain waves, that is only stimulated within the first 90 minutes of sleep. If you do things that keep your brain activated, you will not hit delta. And that is the deepest of the brain waves and the one that helps the brain recover the most. So that's very important as a take-home message. Now, talking about micro-stretching. Micro-stretching, as I alluded to earlier on, is something that deals with trying to stimulate the relaxation response of the body. Basically, trying to help activate or engage the parasympathetic nervous system. That's very, very important. So a lot of the stretching that's done with micro-stretching, and, uh, and I'll say this to the audience as well, because Matt and, and Donna and I talked earlier on, there might be an opportunity where we could do another podcast, or unless you guys want to learn more about what I do, because there is a course offered online, mm -hmm. is that how you place your body during the stretching component I mean, like I said, micro-stretching is not about stretching. It's about recovery, regeneration, and it uses stretching as the, the segue, the tool to help stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and to help, more importantly, cause a relaxation response. And as one of my colleagues, uh, Renata Sato, uh, who's a, an amazing physical therapist out in Vancouver, and my, uh, the person who's helping me with micro-stretching and getting it out there further is Mike Chamello. Um, we've also, we've basically, and he's an athletic training, uh, athletic therapist out here in Toronto. The most important thing is we say the idea about micro stretching is to activate a relaxation response 
by causing a dampening of the CNS, the central nervous system, by sort of dealing with diminishing uh, the sympathetic response. Now, having said that, what you do with the stretching is very, very important. Body position with regards to stretching is very, very important. And let me give you a classic example. A lot of us, when we are stretching our calf muscles, we stretch our calf muscles by standing up. And then we put our foot up against the wall. And then we slightly move our upper body towards the wall. And we perceive that as, hey, now I'm stretching my calf muscle. No, you're not. What you're feeling is an isometric contraction. You're, you got to realize that the calf muscle is a postural muscle. It's been designed to keep us upright. It's, it's activated in order for us to walk. And anytime you're standing, if you look at an ultrasound, uh, ultrasound uh, how do you say, image of the calf muscle, it's actually oscillating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because it's trying to prevent us from falling forward. So now you're standing up against a wall. and you're thinking you're stretching. You're not stretching. You're contracting. Your body's trying to prevent you from falling forward or backwards. Where's the stretch? That's not a stretch. If you want to stretch that calf muscle, sit down. The moment you sit down, you're relaxed. The moment your muscles relaxed, now you have a better uh, uh, opportunity to stretch it properly because it's not in a contracted state. So that's the other thing behind microstretching, which I call the principle of stability, balance, and control. Placing your body in a proper position where you're now facilitating a proper stretch. But more important, remember we talked about the embodied mind. What's very important is when you place your body in these positions, you're trying to relax as much of your other muscle groups as possible. You don't want them engaged. So when they're engaged, there's tension in the body. How's that going to help you relax? How's that going to stimulate the relaxation response? It's not. So body position is very important. So carrying on with the stretching, sitting down. Once you're sitting down and you push, put a, a ball or something on the bottom of your foot, balls of your foot, make sure that if you put something underneath the ball of your foot, uh, that uh, your heel is still down on the ground, but there's no tension in the calf muscle. If there's too much tension in the calf muscle, what do you do? You put something lower. Hmm. This, this particular stretch that I'm describing to you right now, I call it the sitting down soleus stretch, is, was actually introduced to the Royal English Ballet by my supervisor, Matt Wyan, out of the University of Wolverhampton, who's one of the top dance physiologists in the world. He introduced this simple concept of sitting down and stretching the soleus muscle this way which actually saved a lot of the ballerinas' careers. And it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's just like, hey, guys, let me relax the body as much as possible. Let me remove as much tension of the body as much as possible so that way now I can facilitate a proper stretch. And I'm not going to cause a sympathetic nervous system response. I'm going to cause a parasympathetic nervous system response. So then your next question to me is going to be, okay, Nick, how long am I going to hold that stretch? Well. My research has shown that 60 seconds is optimal because it, it takes about 30 seconds to move from the middle of the muscle belly out towards the myotendon junction. Now, I'm giving you this other term, myotendon junction, which just basically means where the muscles and tendon meet. Muscle is a very pliable tissue. It can stretch one and a half times its own length. 
a tendon, you stretch it 4% of its own length, you've destroyed it. But to get to stretch a tendon at that, uh, that uh, to lengthen by 4%, you need to generate oodles and oodles of, of, uh, of uh, uh, force. Now, I'll give you a quick, uh, I, I'll give you some numbers. If I took one square inch of muscle tissue and I hung uh, a weight on it, uh, in order for me to change its architecture, its structure, I only need 80 pounds per square inch, and then I'm going to start changing its architecture. Now, the same square inch of muscle, of tendon, you need anywhere between 8,600 to 18,000 pounds. It's a very strong, fibrous, collagenous tissue. So now, guys, for all those that are out there and they force the stretch, what are you doing at the mild tendon junction? You're not going to destroy the tendon. The tendon is happy. It's fun. It's doing whatever it wants. You can actually cause strain in the muscle portion, mm. at, least, at least about a millimeter away from where the mild tendon junction is. So when you cause a strain and a stress, what's that? That's damage. So when you cause damage, how does your body respond to damage? Hey, we've got an issue here, guys. So we got to go in there, remove all the dead cells that have died because of the damage. And now we got to bring in new cells, but we're going to do it through inflammation. Right. Because you see, inflama inflammation is not bad. Okay. Uh, from an acute point of view, we create inflammation anytime in our bodies from when we train. But I'm more concerned about what we do with chronic inflammation, what we do with chronic pain, what we do with chronic tension. When you actually have chronic pain in your body, that means that the inflammatory response system is run amok. It's just going crazy and you have to turn it off. Like for instance, I'm going to bring this up and a lot of people are going to hate me. This COVID, this COVID thing we're going through right now. Remember I mentioned pro-inflammatory proteins and I called them cytokines. That's exactly what COVID is. It is a cytokine storm. It has gone crazy. Our body's inflammatory response is fighting it like crazy. And then you get this buildup of all this guck in your body. And some people end up dying, right? But we're not going to die because of the aggressive stretching. No, we're not going to do that. But the thing is, it's the exact same stimuli. It's the exact same response. So with micro-stretching, what we're looking at is not only... Uh, activating the, the, the parasympathetic nervous system. We do that by being very gentle, placing our body in a proper position. We're also looking at stretching for about 60 seconds because 60 seconds, as I said earlier on, is optimal from uh, working the muscle itself. And the other thing is frequency. How often do I need to stretch that particular muscle? So if I'm stretching my right calf muscle, I hold that stretch for 60 seconds. And then I go and I stretch my left calf muscle. I hold that stretch for 60 seconds and I repeat it two more times. Now, people might say, hey, Nick, why do you have to do three times one minute and not one times three minutes? Well, the answer lies again in way back, if you guys can remember, we were talking about uh, the proprioceptive tertials when I mentioned proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. I mentioned the muscle spindles and the muscle spindles sense uh, stretch, pliability. The other addition to that is the Golgi tendon organs. Now, the Golgi tendon organs lie between the tendon and the muscle, and their whole idea is to sense tension. So even if you're holding a gentle stretch, if you hold it for longer than a minute, your muscles are going to start feeling tighter. 
And I came upon this with my patients. My patients, my, I, you learn so much from your patients. And they're my great teachers. And the exact same thing. They said, hey, Nick. I said, what is it? Well, you know, I'm doing the uh, gentle stretching. Now, what I mean gentle stretching, and I have to basically make your audience know about this, is if we look at a numerical rating scale, uh, a scale basically measuring pain, discomfort, on that scale, zero being no pain, 10 being aggressive pain, you saw God type of thing, <laughs> micro-stretching is around a three or four out of 10. It's so gentle. The best metaphor that I could say is like putting your hand in lukewarm water. Mm. It, is, it has to be very gentle and, and very relaxing. And that's where micro-stretching is. Most people, when they stretch on their own, is they'll stretch around a seven or an eight because they, again, or a nine, because they feel, I'm not really feeling this, so it's doing nothing. No, because you're really feeling it, it is doing something. <laughs> you know, it's actually causing pain and discomfort. So how's that going to be beneficial? It's not. So let's, let's give the people the parameters of micro-stretching. So intensity, three or four out of 10. Very, very gentle, very, very light. Duration, 60 seconds. Okay, frequency, three times per muscle group, once per day. And volume, if you can do it five, well, seven days a week, that's even better. You know, that's, those are the key things, the key take-home messages with regards to micro-stretching. And then the stretches that you do. Now, somebody's going to say to me, and somebody will say to you guys in the podcast, hey, what about yoga? You know, and I have nothing against yoga. But guys, yoga is not about stretching. Yoga is about strength and stretching at the same time. What do I mean by that? Well, when you're doing some of the poses, half your body's contracted to keep you into that pose. That's a strength. It's an isometric contraction or it's an isotonic contraction, but that's not a stretch. You know, you are loading your body. You got to remove that load on your body in order to help it recover and regenerate. Mm. Yeah, I know that totally makes sense to me. It's like it's strength within range, right? Like exactly. if you're doing yoga properly. Yeah. I like that. Strength within range, for sure, precisely. You know, but it's all working, you know, it's not a it's not a mystery. What you're doing is you're working through the sensory motor uh the sensory motor capacity of its body of the body itself. And again, that's basically giving you lessons as to what's actually help happening in your body. And you have to listen to it. And then, you know, this is the other thing we don't do. We don't really listen to our bodies because we think that, you know what, <sighs> I've got this little ache and pain, it'll go away. No, that little ache and pain can cause uh, ways and means of actually getting your body. And uh, here's a classic example that if, you, if you're on your bike at all, and all of a sudden you're cycling up a hill, and then, uh, and then you feel a little pinching in your right knee you are automatically going to try to adjust your foot on that foot pedal to try to not the next stroke you go around to get that pain in your knee. You are adapting at that instantaneous moment in time. Hmm. So when you have pain in your body, you have to listen to it because your body now is going to start to adapt itself for that pain, but that adaptation causes the activation of other muscle groups to protect and that's the beginning of a compensatory shift, 
Like when I work with a lot of my athletes um, and non-athletes, I take a case history, a, a physical case history of injuries that they've had in their bodies. And without failure, you can actually work backwards and realize that the most recent injury that they've had now sometimes has to do with something that they did when they were teenagers or young kids. It's building up over the years. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and whammo, you've got a back problem. Oh, this sort of happened all of a sudden. Oh, it'll happen all of a sudden if you get hit by a car in your back. But it's something that's been building up over the years, but you disregarded it. Ah, don't worry about it. Or even an, a bad ankle sprain. Or, uh, or if you've had a, a broken bone or something in your lower leg, your whole body is still adjusting. So one of the biggest problems I have with sports medicine, and nothing against sports medicine. I mean, <laughs> these, it's amazing, the field. And some of my best friends, like Dr. Jack Taunton, uh, I respect him. I love him to death. He's really good. He, I, him, he's single-handedly, I think, him and Don McKenzie and uh, Doug Clement uh, have been instrumental for developing CASM, the Canadian Association of Sports Medicine. And we've had these talks many a times, Jack and I. The one thing that baffles me is when is an athlete or a person, well, an athlete because an athlete generates more force, when is an athlete cleared to return to play? And I'll tell you right now, when you go into your orthopedic surgeon's office and all of you said, it's okay, Matt, push against me. Oh, that's good. Pull against me. That's great. Okay, now, Matt, you know, I'm going to push, uh, I'm going to push this way. Can you resist me and all this stuff? And you say, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've passed. <laughs> you're great. No, you're not. You're not generating the amount of force when you're moving to what the, the orthopedic surgeon is testing. Right. Now, if I were to put you on a double force plate, let's say you had a left knee injury and I were to put you on a double force plate and get you to jump after the surgeon has cleared you, you're still going to generate more force out of that right leg, not that left leg. So you're not cleared properly. So these are the compensatory shifts in your body that you have to sort of deal with and look at that basically you have to address in order to help your body get better. Because you got to realize your body's with you until, you know, the day they say, amen, he's lived a good life, she's lived a great life. But throughout those years, your body is adjusting. I mean, look at people, I don't know if you've seen them in Winnipeg, but in Toronto, you see people that are walking down the street and they're literally, they, their bodies have been contorted in a way where they're just facing the ground walking all the time. And they can't really straighten up or extend their upper bodies. I mean, some of them were through scoliosis, but a lot of that has to deal with what they were doing throughout the years in order to help them sort of recover from injuries in the past. Because when you get an injury in the past, what physically happens is you decrease your range of motion automatically because you're trying to protect yourself, right? But we don't really reestablish that range of motion that we've lost. We establish it to some extent, but not to the point prior to the injury. So now your range of motion is lessened and, you know, you recover and you're able to uh, function. Because the one thing, at bet my bottom dollar with all the people that you work with and, and will continue to work with, they'll say to you, hey, Donna, Matt, you know, I'm puzzled. What is it? When I first had this injury, ah, within three days, 
I was out there, you know, doing whatever I wanted. And then I got another injury and now it's taken a week and a half. And now I got another one and it's been a month and I haven't gotten any better. Well, guys, it's because you've just compounded. You've right. built up on that initial injury. And you will not recover if you try to force that muscle to do what you wanted to do through pain and discomfort. I just have a qu question to sort of go back to when you were explaining how micro-stretching uh, works. And uh -huh. I just wanted you to elaborate on the fact that it's a fully supported uh, exercise because I you you talked about stability and control, but um, when you um, look at the diagrams, because I've seen the diagrams of some of the um, examples and the stretches, and it's it's not what you would expect it to look like. Like there's pillows involved, so I just wanted you to clarify um, how that how that works, and then also if you can talk about at, at so I'm I'm a mom and I have kids who are uh, little athletes. Um, and so when it's when is a good time to introduce this so if it's if this is something that should be wound into everybody's bedtime routine if you know take 15 minutes to stretch if this is something you should do with your kids as well to teach them how to relax and how to um, how to listen to their bodies as well so they start to understand the difference between being active and the tension and the way that that feels when you're active versus when you need to help your body to relax because both of them are important right so there's about oh. 10 questions in there, but if you could talk about the stability and then how we should all, at what point we can introduce this to uh, others and even, um, even, uh, even elderly seniors, people, I was going to exactly. say like seniors and, and stuff, right? This, because it is a supported, uh, stable exercise, this is something that's safe, uh, for everyone to be able to do. And so it, it probably is something that can be introduced throughout our lifespans, I would imagine. Well, I agree. The thing is, and thanks for saying that, uh, first of all, let's address the idea of stability, balance, and control. So when you're doing micro-stretching, I gave you the example of basically sitting down in order to stretch your calf muscle. Well, another stretch that I do for the, the glute, let's just say, um, and see, we'll have to do another podcast so people can see the diagrams. Um, okay. And we'll share some links in the show notes too. Okay, perfect. Share the one with regards to the glute piriformis one. So basically to describe this in a nutshell, a lot of people want to stretch their glutes. And what they do is if they're stretching their left, left glute, they cross their uh, left ankle foot over their uh, right knee and the knee is flexed at 90 degrees and they grab their right leg and they're pulling it towards themselves. And a lot of us have done this stretch in the past. And they're doing it. And as they're pulling towards themselves, their head comes forward because your body's trying to balance the, the force that you're generating through your hands in order to help you stretch your left glute. But your neck muscles are all tensed up at the same time. So how would you take that stretch and actually modify it so it's better for you to be able to relax during the stretch? Simply Put both your feet up on top of a wall and make sure that underneath or behind your head, you have a pillow. Why do you need a pillow behind your head? Because if you don't have a pillow behind your head, your lower back, that curve in your lower back called the lumbar, actually becomes more accentuated because of the position of having your body down on the ground. So when you place a pillow on the back of your head, your lower back becomes flat. Okay? Now... With both feet up against the wall, pillow behind your head, 
you cross one of your legs. So we're going to continue this, uh, the uh, discussion with the left glute. So when you take your left glute and you cross it over, uh, I mean, you take your left foot, cross it over your right knee area. Now you've got that angle of where previously you would pull your right leg towards yourself to stretch the glute. No, now you don't have to pull anything. Your upper body is relaxed. Your lower body is relaxed. But the one thing you have to keep in mind, which is very, very important, is make sure that your hip pelvis are down on the ground at the same time. Because if they're floating in the air, while your one foot's up against the wall, it's putting a lot of pressure in your lower back. Okay, so that's a description of using the pillows in order to help with the stretch. It, it, and the other thing, too, is from a therapist's point of view, when I'm stretching my patients and they act, I have a pillow underneath their knees or their bodies and they're sensing that the body is supported, they're more likely to relax. And there's a lot of stretches there that involve a pillow or a wall. Um, um, you know, the other thing now for the elderly population that Donna brought out, you can use a chair and you can show so many stretches from a chair. You can show a hip flexor stretch from the chair. You can show them how to do a hamstring stretch from a chair. Uh, okay, let's do the hamstring stretch from the chair. So a person sitting in the chair, nice and square, uh, and what we'll do right now is we're going to get them to extend their left leg forwards in front of them and keep their right leg, you know, angled at 90 degrees in the position of the chair. And then from the hip pelvis area, making sure that the lower back is flat, they're just going to, uh, how do you say, come forward. And the trick is, here's the trick, here's a clue. When you're doing that stretch with the elderly population, make sure that they feel it in the middle of the muscle belly. Because if they feel it behind the knee, that is not a hamstring stretch. That's a tug of war match between the calf muscles, which actually attach above the knee into the femur, and the hamstring muscles, which attach below the knee into the tibia. So when you lock that knee, the chances are you're feeling it behind the knee. And that's, that's two muscle groups fighting each other. You have to have a slight bend in that knee. And the stretch needs to be felt in the middle of the muscle belly. All the stretches that are being done should be felt in the middle of the muscle belly, which is very, very important. Forget the senior stretch. I, I was just doing that. And the first thing I felt was a ton of tension. I was probably at a seven. So uh, I was feeling Back exactly off. what Back you were off. describing. Yeah, right when you described it, I said, oh, shit. Now, <laughs> here's an interesting thing. If the person is doing that stretch and they're actually feeling a strain in their lower back because their upper body is being suspended, how would you modify that? Put a pillow in their tummy. Once that pillow is in their tummy, that's the upper body is now supported. So the whole key is putting your body in positions which are going to help it relax as much of the muscle groups as possible. And Donna's right. This stretching is not like the average stretching that you see out there that we've been taught over the years. No, no. This is actually using other implements in order to relax the body, relax the neural system to facilitate proper recovery and regeneration. Now, with regards to young kids... <laughs> They can teach us about flexibility. 
because they have so much range of motion, you know, in their bodies. Because what determines range of motion first, foremost, and always is joint structure. I had two. I have two daughters. They're not kids anymore. They're adults. Uh, my eldest, Thalia, she could do the splits frontwards and backwards. My youngest, Justine, couldn't. So it's her joint structure. So I'm going to segue a bit and say one of the, and Gymnastics Canada is going to hate me for saying this, but one of the things that has happened in gymnastics as a sport is we've actually traumatized a lot of these athletes because we want them to hit the 10. And we're forcing that range of motion in their bodies, which is counterproductive, right? So now... With the young kids, it's important to create habits, as you well know, Donna, having two young children. So what you could do is make a game of it. Hey, we're going to do something here where you're going to stretch with them in order to help them, you know, let me segue a bit even further. In sports in Canada, we have become very, very specific dominant. What do I mean by that? Um, for instance, hockey, you have a lot of young kids that are in hockey and uh, they learn that, that stroke from the age of four and they do it year in, year out, year in, year out, right? I've often said that's actually a detriment. Why? Because these kids are probably skating 300, 300 and some odd days a year in order to be able to do what they do beautifully at, at the NHL, you know, automatic movements and stuff like this. But the detriment is that you are not training the rest of the body. So when you're working with kids, it's very important that you actually show them activities, as you well know, Donna, that are going to train the body in general. So the one thing that's very, very important when you look at the Ray Allens or the Michael Jordans, uh, you know, the Tom Brady's, is they have a really good sensation of their bodies. And that's something that with micro-stretching, you can actually help develop with the children is placing them in positions where, you know, uh, they may not feel it and they won't feel it, but it's now starting to develop a habit because I'll tell you when they really start feeling it is when they go through their growth spurts. That's when you're going to start seeing that they need to learn more about their bodies because growth spurts uh, are natural. And I've worked with a lot of uh, athletes, young athletes who've had Osgood slatters, which basically means that the tibial tuberosity is being pulled forward because of the uh, the, the patellar tendon, and it's very painful because their bone is growing two to three times faster than muscle and tendon. So, uh, you know, the muscle and tendon are playing catch up. So when they actually have pain in their bodies through growth spurt, that is the best time to introduce proper stretching, you know, and young kids, it's just amazing. I, the youngest I've ever worked with is probably 10 years of age. You know, and then I'm, and again, it's very, very gentle. And, 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 but what I do say to them is, do you feel this? Or, you know, are you feeling this? Are you perceiving it? Because that's how you develop the whole, uh, how do you say, um, um, the conversation of them getting to know their bodies. Mm -hmm. As we said earlier on, way back when we first started this conversation, the embodied mind, you learn through your body, not the other way around. 
You learn concept perception because your body is teaching you about your environment and how you walk through the environment, how you deal with the environment is imbuing your mind. You know, concepts of pulling, pushing, prodding, these are all created by your body first. So by teaching um, young kids about their bodies, about movement, like for instance, uh, I've dealt with a lot of coaches internationally. And the one thing that really stuck out in my mind was in the Soviet Union, they've basically, and I'm going to put this down because after activities as well, after activities. Okay. In the Soviet Union, they say it takes about 20, 15 to 20 years to develop an Olympic caliber athlete. The first five to six years is spent on body movement, hmm. ballet, dance, jung monkey, jungle gyms, whatever you want to call them, right? Getting the kids out in the, out in, uh, you know, the playgrounds, getting to experiment with their bodies, right? This is very, very important. Interestingly enough, as I said, I had to write something down. It takes about 15 years to decompress those athletes. So now you've got an athlete that's finished their career. You have to start teaching them how to, how to relearn their bodies and teach them how to move through other planes of the bodies. They've actually been specific dominant with one movement throughout their whole career. So it's very, very important. So in a roundabout way with young kids, you're going to introduce them a habit and, you know, and make fun of it because kids, lo kids love playing, which is very important. Hope those answered the questions. Yeah. I just as a, a follow-up question, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, so in terms of what we would conceive as traditional stretching, right? Like you go mm -hmm. for a run and you come inside and you stretch oh. or you, <laughs> or you, uh, um, before your activity or, or even, or even like the, you know, you go for a run and then you, or you do your warm-up activity and then you stretch and then you go and you do your weights or you, mm -hmm, you at mm -hmm. the end of your workout, I'm, th I'm not thinking about like athletes and training here. I'm thinking about, no, no. you know, even everybody just active adults, but I'm, I'm sensing that perhaps the traditional, what we would conceive as traditional stretching is perhaps uh, counterproductive. Or if you can just uh, comment on where that traditional stretching mm -hmm. would fit if it does, or if it's still a good idea. Okay, so basically what you're referring to is static stretching in a mm -hmm. nutshell. Okay, yeah. um, first and foremost, if you are going to go out and do your activity, I do not recommend static stretching before an activity. Uh, what I do recommend is something that was championed by Lauren Seagrave and Dan Pfaff and uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Victor Lopez, which is yeah, dynamic. Dynamic dynamic. And I've been saying dynamic since the 1990s as well. And Donna's an expert at that, so she can show you guys. <laughs> now, what's going to blow a lot of people away is what I'm about to say, which is don't do static stretching immediately after your activity. What? What the hell are you talking about? You know, this is crazy. I just finished my activity. Hey, Static stretching, after you finished your activity, you're more fatigued, which then means you're more prone to overstretching. A true state of a muscle is, is its cold state. You will know when you get out of bed how tense you really are because your muscles are still cold. And 
try to do a stretch in the morning and then do that same stretch in the evening and voila, you know, you could do the splits because you've warmed it up over, over that 17-hour uh, period, okay? So I've often said immediately after uh, your activity, it's more important to sort of down-regulate your body, you know, sort of get it back to a, stase, uh, to a, uh, to a stage of homeostasis. So uh, don't do anything that is continuously vigorous or, or, or aggressive unless you've decided you want to do your weights right after your activity. I've often said do weights first and then aerobic work because you've got more energy the other way around. After you've spent yourself aerobically, you don't have as much strength doing your stuff uh, weight-wise because you're more fatigued. So if I were to say when to do uh, micro stretching or any type of stretching, that's gentle. That's the key right there is you got to wait at least two hours post activity because now you're fully relaxed. Your body has recovered and now you have a better command of where or how far you can stretch. The thing is, there's a thing called hot yoga or Bikram's yoga, and I'm not dishing it as, you know, any form of activity is good. But I used to have a lot of patients when I was living in Vancouver coming to me while after hot yoga. And that's because the heat generated in the body, they, they, you're doing yoga in a room that's about 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And you are, your neural system is, is getting taxed and it's being fatigued and you're not really listening to your body because you're sweating like crazy. And then there's a greater tendency of overstretching. So you have to be really cognizant of that after an activity as well. So your body's warm, you know, um, don't do static stretching right after an activity. Matt, your question? Well, I was just getting, I'm, I'm, I'm watching time here and we've, yeah, we, I know <laughs> we, the, the, the further we go along, the more questions I have. And, and, we'll and I, and, another one. and, and Nikos, I, I, you know, we're, we're digging into the, uh, into the technical aspects of the work you do. And I, I want to learn more about you. So, uh, you know, I think we could have a whole podcast series on, uh, on your path and developing the micro stretching and, and your beliefs on development. I just, I, I just, I, I was really, I, I just love that you touched on um, the importance of uh, increased awareness through various movements for, for kids. And I think that that's a common theme throughout this entire discussion for all of us. You know, I, uh, I just, uh, some days I feel like I, I treat my body like it's just a, it, you know, it's a, it's a mechanism to move, you know, you know, whatever malfunctioning brain I've, I've, I've got here from point A to B. And it's, um, you know, I, I sense that uh, we, we started the conversation talking about pain um, and the uh, sympathetic nervous system being this, this, this mechanism to teach us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it signals what's going on uh, around us. And so I just want to want to close from a technical aspect on, on just touching back on and summarizing this, this critical importance of just of, of using your body as, as an awareness tool. Precisely. It is. We have to figure out the way of getting into it. Now here, here, let me give you a classic example for your, for your uh, listeners out there to do. Um, it's called Tanden, which is T-A-N-D-E-N, -E and it's Zazen, which is actually Japanese uh, form of meditation, sitting meditation. 
And what I find very interesting is they actually get you to do an exercise where you tense your abdominal area, tense it, and stop breathing for that one minute. And you will realize that when you do that type of exercise, you will not have these thoughts going through your head like crazy when you try to do meditation with all that nice deep breathing and inside, in and out, in and out. And what they're saying is that tension in your, in your abdominal area and the fact that you're not breathing is giving you an awareness of your body. I mean, Alan Watts, um, and you're right, my, my, my knowledge is spans, so I love reading, I'm a, v- a vociferous reader, but Alan Watts uh, wrote a book called The Still of the Mind. Mm-hmm. He did a pod, uh, well, not podcast, CD series called Still of the Mind. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's, and Don and I talked about this last time, which has stuck with me ever since I've heard this, and it was like, holy smokes, this guy is right. What is your ego? What is your I? It really doesn't exist. What it is, is the tensions that you feel in your muscles is giving you an idea of whom you are. That's the awareness. That's your ego, even though it doesn't really exist. Because I can't sit here and define my ego. What is my ego? Who am I? Well, I mean, the only definition I have is what other people have told me about myself. But if I really want to know myself at my present state and moment in time, it's the muscles and the muscle tension that is giving me, uh, uh, how do you say, a measurement of where I am at that particular moment in time. So it's all body awareness. We've had it wrong by thinking it's all the mind. It's not. It's, it's holistic, but the body imbues the mind, which is very, very important. And that's where my philosophy, if I could do another PhD, it would be on that phenomenology of the embodiment mind, you know. My PhD was basically on muscle inflammation, muscle physiology, inflammatory response, specifically looking at that question about stretching intensity and what does aggressive stretching cause to the body. And my research has shown, and my research was the only research in the world at the time that looked at human subjects, stretching, and blood biomarkers, those pro-inflammatory cytokines. And we showed conclusively that if a person stretches to the point of pain and discomfort, they cause an inflammatory response, which is very important. You know. God, I mean, we can go on forever, guys. And we will. We will. <laughs> well, I, Nikos, I, I just want to hold you hostage and, and hang out with you for the, for the next week. <laughs> I, uh, I just love you. You're, this is awesome. I, um, I, we, you know, we, we have these rapid fire questions that we sometimes ask. And, okay. uh, and uh, if you don't like them, we can just cut this part out of the podcast. Oh, go ahead. I mean, but that's where we get to geek out some more. This just gives us a, a, a quick insight into you. And I, uh, I, I can't wait to bring you back on to uh, dig more into your story. But I'm going to start sure. with uh, we'll start with a, an easier an easier one. What book do you most recommend? Oh my God! If you were to look at my library behind me right now, there's about 700 books. Yeah, we're. we're we, I, I don't think a, we have 700. I'm going to take <laughs> a screenshot of your uh, of your background. Actually, you oh yeah, please do. I, I'll get out of the way. But there they are. Um, <laughs> the one book that I have come to 
religiously and I've read it, I kid you not, 30, 40 times. And every time I read it, it's still a gem. And I would recommend uh, people to buy it if they can. I've actually given it away as gifts. There's a book called Silence in the Age of Noise. And I'm actually, I have it right here, you know. And the author's name is uh, Erling Kage. Mm. Okay. Why do I come to this book? Because he, and this is something that we've touched upon uh, indirectly, is the real meaning of what silence really is. I mean, in society, we have created so much cacophony, so much noise, because I think it's trying to prevent us from really taking a look at who we are. And the only way you do that is by going and delving into the concept of silence, not, you know, uh, uh, how do you say, cutting out your environmental noise, but going within. One thing I do, because I mentioned that I turn off my phone about an hour and a half uh, before uh, I go to sleep, and this drives my, uh, my partner, Michael Chamello, who's the guy who's helping with micro-stretching. It's crazy because I, say, I often say to him, I'm going for a plane ride. My phone's on airplane mode. <laughs> drives him crazy, right? Because if he wants to say, hey, Nico, did you think about doing this, that, and everything? The other thing I do is I actually have some noise canceling headphones, you know, not the ones for, uh, how do you say, for podcasts or stuff like this, but the, the construction ones. Yeah. I wear them when I go to bed. And when I told this to Chamela, I says, you're crazy, man. And the reason why I wear them is I want to listen to my heart. Oh, cool. Because I want to basically... Listen, your heart's been with you from the time you were a baby, from the, in your mother's womb, and it's there. That's one of the noises that you really get to hear. And it's one of the noises, if you really listen to it, that can calm you down. Right. And look, your heart, when you're active and stimulated, so your heart goes through the roof, right? It's always on. It's, it's beating like crazy. But why not use it as a tool to help you calm down? It's been with you yeah. for all your life. So I put this headphone on. And I try to listen to my heart, you know? And when I'm doing that, I'm listening to silence. And I'm really, and I take a, a how do you say, and this is something uh, that, you know, hopefully your, um, your audience can do is take a, a, how do you say, a walk down how your day was, you know, and, 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 get, and get, you know, an idea. Oh, I did this. This caused me stress. How can I de-stress it? How can I, because... The, the key is, again, you're starting to learn more about yourself. And I mean, I'm going to throw this out there because I've been through this and, and people that hit their 40s and sometimes, you know, early, uh, late, uh, mid 40s, it comes a time in your life. And I mean, I tell you, Matt and Donna, we can talk forever. There's when people say this concept of midlife crisis, <laughs> it's it's not a crisis. What it is, is you've reached a point in your life where you're starting to say to yourself, who am I really? What is my role in life? You know, and a lot of that could be prevented by you taking the time to really get to know yourself earlier on. But society 
knows that if we do that, we're going to create a, a society of people that we're not going to convince them to buy this latest and greatest gadget, because if they buy that, they're going to be happy. Mm. So this book here, Silence in the Age of Noise, this guy is a, an explorer. He's a publisher. He studied at Cambridge. He actually has an 18-minute TED Talk uh, on this whole idea of silence. And he, when you guys read this book, or if, you, if your audience is interested, it, it just basically takes you through a path of how he became aware of uh, there's a thing, there's a quote by one of the uh, um, poets in the book, a Norwegian poet named Jan Foss, J-O-N, and it's F-O-S-S-E. And this really resonates with me, which says, there is a love no one remembers. And that's silence, true silence. And so this book, yes, totally recommend this book. <laughs> Well, these uh, the ra I knew the rapid fire questions were going to be uh, we're going to be. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Awesome. Sorry, fire no, the no, next one. What's my? This is awesome. Hey, Donna. I love it. I love it. Fire, fire the next one. I'll, I promise I'll take it to one second or well, two no, or three. No, oh no, no, it's all good. no, 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 no. We call them the rapid fire, but uh, we uh, it 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 gives rich answers. It gives the opportunity for rich answers. So, well, I'm just going to order a silence of. Uh, Silence in the Age of Noise. While this this next uh, answer comes out, what's your favorite movie? I am an escapist at heart. <laughs> I love watching Lord of the Rings. All oh, of them. nice. Why? Because you know what? There is so much. There is so much. I don't know things that are going on in the world that the last thing I want to do is watch a movie that's going to engage me mentally, emotionally. I just want to watch a movie that I am truly, truly going to take the time to let go. So I like all, and the Harry Potters. Mm. For all the young kids out there, I am a big Harry Potter fan. <laughs> so Lord of the Rings for the adults, Harry Potter's for the children. <laughs> Love it. My, my wife and I, we watched both of them this year. Loved it. Yeah. Don, I'll pass it over to you for the final, final rapid fire. Sir, yeah, we're a big Harry Potter house too. We're working through, we're reading them out loud. It's oh. like our favorite part of the day is Harry yes. Potter time. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. and our, we read one and then we watch the movie. So that's exactly. how we're working through the movies. It's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, when you think of the word success, who most comes to mind and why is that? When I think of the word success, who most comes to mind? My parents. Mm. Um. Well, these are people that immigrated from Greece, not knowing a language, uh, not knowing what they're going to deal with. And, you know, they tried their darndest to uh, make it easy for my sister and myself. So those are the successful people in my life. The people that basically knew that they had odds against them and they uh, took took those chances for the betterment of, uh, uh, you know, themselves and their children. That's, those are, that's the success. Oh, that's, well, that's amazing. A hell of a way to wrap up the podcast. Uh, oh yeah. Nico's, Me crying guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, you've got, uh, you have two, 
two two fans and two people that are going to be knocking on your door repeatedly coming likewise forward. likewise please everybody reach out whenever you want donna and, and matt and we can do another one if you want if a lot of questions pop up uh we can actually do one where we could answer those questions that Perfect. pop up from your uh from uh, your audience athletes non-athletes you know and uh it's all it's all a learning process you know and it's very very important because the, the the most important thing is education education of awareness yeah nikos where can where can people find you www.microstretching.com if people want to connect through my website um, if they want to connect through email I'll leave it up to you and Matt because uh, Donna and Matt because you know this way it'll create a sort of chain of questions that we can answer that hopefully will um, will answer some of the questions that the audience have but for a quick down and dirty, if you really want to get to know uh, about microstretching, it's microstretching.com, uh, you know, and then through Don, Donna and Matt for specific stuff, because uh, it's very important to create the network and, and the ability to work with each other. Very important. Well, Nikos, thanks so much. It's a, an absolute pleasure having the chance to to, to sit down with you virtually here and um, uh, to be continued, as we always say. The honor is mine. Thank you, Donna and Matt, for, for, for putting this together. And hey, guys, just become aware and listen to silence. Listen to whom you are. <laughs>